0: GENTLEMEN SPACEMAN The Doomsday Robot, Episode 1 Making his way through the streets of the floating sky city of Tekla, deep within the gases of Jupiter, Dirk Danger senses something is amiss. The streets, normally bustling with techno-activity, are bare of any of its robo-inhabitants. Where did they all go? Find out next time on... GENTLEMEN SPACEMAN Hello, and welcome back to The Gentleman Spaceman's Atomic Hideout. Each episode, we explore classic sci-fi from the atomic age and beyond. I'm your host, Brad Grahowski. If you'd like to know more about me, please visit thevoiceofbrad.com. If you enjoy The Atomic Hideout, we're happy. All we'd ask in return is that you consider subscribing, and leave a review wherever it is that you enjoy listening to podcasts. It'll take you just a moment and really helps us out. With this episode, we welcome you back as we begin season two of The Atomic Hideout. Twelve more episodes from the golden age of sci-fi. Our cold open was episode one of our own micro drama, Dirk Danger, Gentleman Spaceman. You'll hear more from Dirk and his galaxy hopping adventures throughout the season. To get things started, In this first episode, we are going to hear the first of a two-part story, Prison of a Billion Years, by Stephen Marlowe. It originally appeared in the magazine Imagination in April 1956. Let's begin. Prison of a Billion Years, written by Stephen Marlowe, Part 1. Adam Slade crushed the guard's skull with a two-foot length of iron pipe. No one ever knew where Slade got the iron pipe, but it did not seem so important. The guard was dead. That was important. And Slade was on the loose, with a hostage. That was even more important. The hostage's name was Marcia Lawrence. She was 22 years old and pretty and scared half out of her wits. She was, before she became a hostage, a reporter for Interplanetary Video. She had been granted the final pre-execution interview with Adam Slade, and she had looked forward to it a long time, but it had not worked out as planned. It had not worked out as planned because Slade, only hours from the execution chamber with absolutely nothing to lose, had splattered the guards' brains around the inside of his cell and marched outside with a frightened Marcia Lawrence outside outside the cell block, while other condemned prisoners roared and shouted and banged tin cups on bars and metal walls and Judas hole grills outside the prison compound. And across the dome-enclosed city which served the prison. Then, outside the dome. Outside the dome, there was rock. Rock only. Twisted and convoluted and thrusting and gigantic like monoliths of a race of giants. Rock alone under the awesome gray sky. Steaming rock, for some of the terrestrial waters were still trapped at great depths. And the sea far off, booming against rocky headlands, hissing tidily and slowly in an age long process, pulverizing the rock. The sea far off, a clean sea, not sea smelling sea, a sea whose waters must evaporate countless times and be borne up over the naked rocks in vapor and clouds, and come down in pelting, endless rain and rush across the rock, frothing and steaming. A sea which must do this countless times in the eons to come, and would do it to bring salinity to its own waters. It kind of scares the hell out of you, doesn't it? Adam Slade said. He was a big man with a thick neck and heavy, sleepy-looking eyes, and a blue beard shadow on his stubborn jaw. He said those words as he climbed out of the prison tank with Marcia Lawrence. The tank's metal was still warm from overheated travel. I didn't think anything would scare you, Marcia Lawrence said. She had conquered her initial terror in the five hours of clanking tank flight from the prison. They had come a great many miles from the prison dome, paralleling the edge of the saltless sea, and then finally, when their fuel was almost gone, clanking and rattling down toward the sea. She was a newspaper woman, that above all now. She must not be afraid. She had a story here, a story. Get moving, Adam Slade said. I got nothing against you, lady, he told her for the tenth time. But you try anything, you're dead, you get that? I got nothing to lose. One time is all they can kill me, but first they got to find me, but they won't be able to take me as long as you're here. Just stay meek and you'll stay alive. How long do you think you can hold out? Marcia Lawrence asked practically. They had begun to walk away from the now useless tank. Adam Slade was carrying the dead guard's M-gun in the crook of his bent left arm, and walking with long, easy, ground-consuming strides. Marcia almost had to run to keep up with them, as they went down a stretch of slightly sloping black rock toward the steaming, hissing, pounding, roaring, exploding surf. Slade smiled. Plenty of water, he said. But no food, Mr. Slade. There's absolutely no food on Earth now, and no possible way of getting food, unless you want to stick around for a few million years. You think I came out here without a plan? Slade asked with some hostility. I don't know. You were desperate? As long as you're with me, I figure they might follow, but they won't rush me. They might even send over a copter, but it won't try anything. Not with you here. (laughs) Desperate? I'm not desperate. And don't you forget it. Desperate, you don't think straight. Once is all they can execute me. I stayed behind, they'd have done it. If they catch me, they'll do it. What's the difference? You said you had a plan. They reached the edge of a thrusting headland, an enormous beak-shaped cliff of beetling black rock which leaned out over the young, still saltless ocean. Slade paced back and forth quickly with a powerful leonine grace until he found a fault in the rock. The fault tumbled jaggedly, steeply down, almost to the edge of the sea. Down there, Slade said. We'll follow the seacoast back to the prison. Back? Marcia said in disbelief. Hell yes, back. You said it yourself. There's no food out here. Since there ain't no life, of course there's no food. Oh, it's a great place for a prison, all right. Whoever thought of it ought to win a prize. A prison, a billion years in the past. What's the word? Archeozoic, she supplied. Yeah, Archeozoic. An Archeozoic prison. You can escape to your heart's content, but what the hell's the difference? There's no life back here, not yet. The Earth's just a baby. So you escape, and you starve to death. It makes every maximum security jail before this one look like a kid's piggy bank. There hasn't ever been an escape, Marcia said hopefully as they made their way down to the sea. She in front and Slade behind her with the M-gun. There ain't never been a hostage before. Hmm. No, there's a hostage now. Marcia Lawrence took a deep breath and asked suddenly. Are you going to kill me? Hell, I don't know. I got no reason to, unless you make me. We're going back there. We're double-tracking along the beach, get me? Back to the prison dome. But Adam Slade won't starve to death out here. We'll double back to the dome and the time machine. Oh, she said. They began to walk along the edge of the sea, its waters sullen gray mirroring the sky. Here on this dawn earth the sky has yet never been blue, for the primordial waters were still falling, falling. It rained almost all the time, and the air was thick with moisture, and every night when the sun, as yet unseen by the dawn earth except as an invisible source of light, went down and darkness came, the mists rolled in from the sea. In the morning, whether rains had fallen or not, the ground was soaked and tiny freshets rushed down to the sea, returning to it. Look out! he cried suddenly, and shoved her against the base of the cliff, which overlooked the water. The cliff top thrust out over them, umbrella-wise. The base of the cliff was thus a concavity, and they pressed themselves against it now, in shadow. The waters of the infant sea were a hundred yards away surging and booming against the rock. She heard it soon after he did. A helicopter. She wanted to scream. She wondered if they would hear her scream. But she looked at Adam Slade's face and did nothing. Soon the helicopter came, buzzing low over them, searching. It circled a great many times because the abandoned tank was there. It circled and came down on the beach, and two uniformed figures got out. Now she really wanted to scream. One sound, one sound, and they would hear her. One quick filling of the lungs, and Adam Slade hit her suddenly and savagely, and the black loomed up at her, but she did not remember striking it. When she awoke, the helicopter was gone. Sorry I had to poke you one, Slade said. He did not seem sorry at all. He said it automatically and then nodded. You ready to walk? She nodded. She got up and staggered a few steps before her legs steadied under her. Then with Slade she walked down along the rocky beach. This, she thought, was her story. It was the only big story she had ever had and probably she would not live to write it. As a woman, she was almost hysterical with fear, but as a videocaster, she was angry. The story was hers, if she lived to tell it. Then she had to live. Time prison, sure, she thought. Utterly escape-proof, unless someone like Slade could take a hostage, double back to the prison dome, the hermetically sealed dome, and somehow trick or overpower the guards who watched the time-traveling machine outside the prison dome. Outside. Naturally, it would be outside. That way the prisoners couldn't get at it. Unless, like Slade, they too were outside. Outside where life had not yet been born. Outside the infant earth. Let a man escape. What did his escape matter? He would live exactly as long as it took a man, reasonably healthy, to starve to death. Unless he had a hostage and a plan. She became aware of the rain when they left the cliff overhang. There was almost no wind, and the rain came down slowly at first. Huge, slow drops which splattered on the black rock. If it gets any harder, Slade said we'll have to duck under the cliff for protection. You don't know what a rain can be like back here. I've seen them through the dome. But they couldn't go under the cliff for protection, not if they wanted to keep going. For the cliff dropped suddenly in a wild jumble of rocks, and then there was nothing but the sloping black beach sloping down to the sea. Then, all at once, Someone opened the sluice gates and the rain bombarded them. It slapped and bounced off the rock like pistol shots. It struck them like hammers. They staggered under its weight. We'll have to go back to the cliffs, Marcia cried. She yelled it again at the top of her voice because she realized Slade would not hear her otherwise as the rain cracked and exploded and splattered and crashed. There were no droplets of water, for each one had size and shape and weight, swift falling, hammering weight as it came down. Each one, Marcia thought wildly, struggling to keep her feet, was the size of your clenched fist there in the gray dawn of earth. The cliffs, she cried. But Adam Slade shook his head, grabbed her arm above the wrist and pulled her after him. He pointed ahead in the direction they had been going. He said nothing. There was no need to talk. They were going forward. And if it killed them, probably Adam Slade did not care much. I hope you enjoyed Part 1 of Prison of a Billion Years by Stephen Marlowe. We will return next episode with Part 2 of Prison of a Billion Years. The Gentleman Spaceman's Atomic Hideout was written, produced, edited, and performed by Brad Grahouski. Dirk Danger, Gentleman Spaceman, The Doomsday Robot, was written by Brad Grahowski and Liam Mackin. For more information about the Gentleman Spaceman's Atomic Hideout, visit thevoiceofbradcom spaceman. If you are enjoying Gentleman Spaceman's Atomic Hideout, please subscribe and consider leaving a review wherever you prefer to listen to podcasts. Thank you, and journey well among the stars.